Matthew chapter 6. Jesus, of course, is speaking, and he says in verse 1, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they might have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly." Skip over to verse 16. We'll cover the middle section next week. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting." But to your Father who is in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Father, we come before you tonight as we take a few minutes to study your word. And we pray that you would speak to us. We want to be your disciples. We want to continually grow in our understanding of the heart that we are to have as as followers of you. Because, Lord, we're not here tonight just to play church. We're not here just to do religious things. Lord, we want to be yours. We want to be all yours. And so I pray as you shared with those disciples on that hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee so many years ago, God, may your words ring true in our hearts as well tonight. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. We are doing a series called Being Discipled by Jesus. Well, we're looking at those passages in the Gospels where Jesus pulled his aside his disciples, not when he was speaking to the mixed multitudes, not when he was rebuking the Pharisees, but just when he was ministering to his disciples. Now, some have asked in that vein, a couple people now, well, then why in the end of chapter 7 does it say in verse 28, and so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished as his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Why it says that at the end of chapter 7, to be perfectly honest, I'm not really sure. Because it starts off, if you look at the first verse of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, What we learn is, is that seeing the multitudes, what did he do? He went up on a mountain, and when he was seated with his disciples, they came to him. Another reference is Luke chapter 16, verse 15. You can write down and check me out. It's very clear there. The same message, same sermon was delivered to his disciples. So whether the multitudes wandered up seeing Jesus taught and they are just, you know, whatever it was, we'll get to more specific where it's just the disciples, no doubt. But hey, it's all good. We're looking at the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus shares with his disciples how we're to walk with him. And he begins by showing us kingdom attitudes those attitudes if we're lived out just the smile of god will be on our lives and on our souls we also considered that those kingdom attitudes are not to be just lived out in some christian village where everybody loves jesus they're to be lived in the culture and the community that god has placed us in 
Then Jesus went in even deeper, and he gave us six Old Testament examples. Old Testament examples where the Pharisees were living according to the letter of the law, the letter that they had kind of smudged and invented, but they were missing the heart of the law. They had invented all these loopholes while they could indulge their lust and get out of their oaths and still say they were honoring God. And Jesus shows us the huge difference, the huge difference between righteousness that flows from the heart and a righteousness that's just religiousness that we want to stray away from. Well, as we get to chapter 6 now, we're even going deeper in these things that God is teaching us. You see, as we get a little bit of the kingdom in our hearts, as we begin to see the difference between outward righteousness and righteousness from the heart, there is another danger that starts to manifest itself. And that is, as we begin to live for the kingdom of God, Why are we doing it? Are we doing it to be seen by men? Or are we doing it as unto the Lord? You see what I mean? We want to be salt and light. We want to live the kingdom attitudes in the world. But motivation is key. If it's so, people will see your good works and glorify the Father. Hey, right on. Go for it. Live it out in the world. But if it's so, they will see your good works and glorify you so you can sing hallelujah me instead of hallelujah. Well, guess what? That's a wrong motivation. That's missing the heart of what it is to be a disciple. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is going to deal with three quote-unquote righteous things that we do that can easily go, if we're not careful, from being done for God and for His glory to being done for ourselves and for ours. And those three things, you note-takers, are giving, praying, and fasting. Giving, praying, and fasting. And we're going to look at at, at the bookends tonight, giving and fasting, get those tough ones, those uncomfortable ones kind of out of the way. And then next week, we'll get to the good stuff. We'll focus on the Lord teaching his disciples how to pray, and it'll be a great lesson for us to be encouraged in how to pray ourselves. You know, most subjects we deal with in the Word are easy for our our heads to nod in agreement with and, frankly, easy for me to teach. But when it comes to giving, when it comes to fasting, actually suggesting you might want to go without food, well, those are difficult subjects because, let's be honest, our flesh doesn't like those subjects. We don't like to part with our hard-earned money. We don't like to go without food. (laughs) None of us in the room are like, that's my favorite two things in the world about being a... None of us think that way. And so, yes, it's difficult to talk about, but as we shared a few weeks ago, hey, I believe my job is to open up God's Word and explain what it means to you, God's precious people. And sometimes we go through things we like to hear. We love to hear about grace. I do. I love to hear about mercy and goodness and holding fast to the anchor of my soul. Love that kind of stuff. Giving, fasting. Uh, But guess what? It's all part of the word of God. It's all part. And so as disciples, when we come to Matthew chapter 6, Jesus, not Jason, let's get that straight, When you email, please also complain to Jesus. Jesus, not Jason, is telling his disciples what needs to be basic in their lives. And he gives them three things. In verse 2, he says, when you do a charitable deed. That's King James language for when you give. 
Verse 5, he says, when you pray. And in verse 16, he says, when you fast. Now stop right there, precious Bible students. You need to see this. It doesn't say anywhere in these verses we're going to read, if you give. Hey, you know, if you get around to it sometimes, this is what, that's not what it says. It doesn't say if you pray. Hey, if that's part of your life, great. You're like an honor student as a Christian. That's not what it says. And it doesn't say, you might not believe this, but it doesn't say if you fast. In other words, what I'm trying to tell you is Jesus, I think, is teaching us who want to be disciples that these things are supposed to be part of our lives. Again, we're not here to play church. You're here on a Wednesday night. You're not a smo. You're not a Sunday morning only or, sat, or a snow, a Saturday night only. That's not you. You're here in the middle of the week. And, and, and I hope that means you're, you want to be a disciple. You want to walk with God. So guess what? It's about when we do these things, when these things are part of our lives. And Jesus, basically in the study, he's going to tell them how not to give or fast how not to do it, the the poor example. Secondly, he's going to tell them how to do it. And then thirdly, because he's the master teacher, he's going to tell them why. So that's kind of our outline we're following. And we begin with our first one here in Matthew chapter 6, how not to give. How not to give. Look in chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men as to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Now listen, I fully understand that when we deal with the topic of giving, giving includes many, many things. It certainly includes giving of your time and your talents. It goes far beyond, you know, pulling out the checkbook and, and, and writing a check to God. It's far beyond that. But, but see, all these principles apply to whatever you're giving to the Lord, whatever it is that you are giving to Him. But understand the context. We are speaking about financial things in this text. And Jesus' concern, whether you are giving money, whether you are giving time, whether you are giving of your talents, is that you're not to give to please anyone but the Lord. It's not to be seen by men. It's not to draw the attention of others. And the poor example, well, they're always the Pharisees. The Pharisees. You see, in, in Jewish society, you would give 10% of your income to the temple. Now, it actually went further than that. When you take all of their offerings and their sacrifices together, it was really closer to 40% of the Jewish income went to the Lord. But of course, you have to factor in that was also kind of their tax system. So it's kind of similar to what we have today. But 10%, man, totally to support the priest, the temple, and the upkeep and the work of the ministry. And Jesus warns his disciples, don't be like the Pharisees. Now, you've got to understand culturally what he's saying. You see, the Pharisees, instead of taking their 10 or 20 or 40% and just giving it to the Lord, what they would do is they would stand on the street corners. They would blow a horn, literally, a a shofar. And they would then draw attention. Hey, it's time to give the money out. And listen, notice, and check your heart. Then they would then give out their charitable deeds as they saw fit. 
as they saw fit. And again, motivation is key. Nothing wrong with doing that to bless someone. But they did it so people would see them and say, oh, isn't this guy wonderful? Isn't, isn't this guy really walking with the Lord? And Jesus says, don't do that. That's not real giving to the Lord. It's not real doing it. And, and again, please don't misunderstand me tonight. The Lord is not saying that we're not giving because reward is tied in. Of course reward is tied in. We want to be rewarded as we give to the Lord. The question is where you get that reward and from whom. That's the question. You're going to be rewarded as you give. But from who and where? Do you really want it here? I mean, really? I went, I went to a church when I was a, a kid. You see, I, I thought you went to Calvary Vista when you were a kid. No, there's another church, <laughs> obviously. But they, they would put the picture of the top tither for the previous year as you entered in the door. So instead of like the pictures we've got of like the lamb, which is Jesus, you know, although you would see the, the greatest tithing family from, you know, maybe all smiling there and just, yes, we're loaded. <laughs> and, and then it got worse as you walked toward this. This is, tr- this is a true story. As you'd walk down the hallway, then there were like the, the runners up. And, and if you gave 10,000 plus in a year, your family's picture went in a gold frame as you walked down the hallway it, or in a silver frame. If you were, or something like this, but then the, the, another, the next level, the $50,000 givers, oh, they had gold frames. And if you gave $100,000 or more, absolutely true, you got to sit on the stage while the pastor taught. Who would want to do that anyways? <laughs> anyways, but, but that, that's, that's what they did. And it was, it was this big show. It was this big show of like, hey, I got my, I got my throne on the stage because I give $100,000 to the Lord every year. <laughs> you don't have to worry about that kind of stuff at Calvary Chapel. <laughs> you just don't. <laughs> you know that already. You don't. The reality is, Pastor Rob, myself, we have no idea what you give to the Lord. And I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I'm not like trying to figure it out. I'm not hunting you down. I don't, I don't want to know. Now, there are people who take care of those things so that we're legit and you get your statement at the end of the year. I mean, it, it's a legit organization. But Pastor Rob and I, we don't want to know. And, and I know we do it for two reasons. Number one, I don't want to treat you any differently. You would treat me differently? Hey, I'm a sinner. I am. I am. I'm a sinner. I don't want to base my relationship to you on how vital you are to the ministry here. And, and nor do I want to look down on you if, if, you're, you know, if you're not partnering with what God is doing here. You know, pastoring in Paris for the last, last seven years, you see this happens. I remember when one time, just in an accident, our administrator was like, hey, you know, I, this guy, he doesn't give. And I was like, why did you tell me that? And then I thought, that's one of the dudes that has the bag in his hand. And I thought, how dare he? How dare he walk down the aisle and hand that bag? And, and all of a sudden I found, I'm like, stop it, Jason, that's horrible. But I found myself judging this poor guy as he's walking. I'm like, how can he do that if he's not? Anyway, you see, I'm wicked. I don't want to. I don't want to do that. I don't want to treat you differently. I don't want to look at you and need to tell you the truth when you're in sin. And go, I don't know. Hey, friend, <laughs> don't leave. But here's what you got to know. I don't know. Or nor when you need help, do I want to go, well, what help have you been to us? I mean, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Oh, you would never do that. You don't know me well enough yet. Anyways, I don't want to treat you any differently. I know Pastor Rob doesn't want to treat anyone differently. And secondly, way more importantly, you 
don't want to lose your heavenly reward. Boy, anything we could say, like, oh, thanks for last week. That was so awesome. You came through for us. Really? That, that's your reward in heaven. How much more to hear from Jesus when you get to heaven say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I'm sure it doesn't work that way here, but in Texas sometimes I would get asked like, hey, how come pastor didn't thank me for the big offering last week? That's why, that's why. I don't want you to lose your reward in heaven. We're to do it for God's glory, for God's thanks, for God's reward. So we see how not to give. In verse three, we see how we're supposed to do it. Verse 3, it says, but when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. How are we supposed to give to the Lord? Well, the first thing we need to consider is since giving is spirit expected, spirit expected. Remember, it's not if you, it's when you. Since God's expecting this, well, then it needs to be spirit directed. Understand? It's spirit, it's, it's spirit expected, so it needs to be spirit directed. God needs to lead you. You need to go to him and pray. You see, if your heart is, hey, I just pay my bills, whatever's left over, I give to the Lord. I just need to ask you, have you prayed about that? Even if you say, I give 10% down to everything, I break down my tax return. Awesome. Have you prayed about that? Is it spirit-directed? And again, some of you are like, didn't we just do this study a few weeks ago? Yeah, it was part of the 20 questions. And so none of you want to go back and listen to that study again, I'm pretty sure, unless you are a glutton for punishment. Yes, I want to hear about giving again. But it's all online there. We went through it, how, how that giving to the Lord, it's a biblical idea. It starts before the law with Abraham and Melchizedek. We see Jesus commending the Pharisees for tithing in, in Matthew 23, 23. Paul gives us a great model in 1 Corinthians 16. And he says, on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, store it as he may prosper. We see Paul encouraging it to be consistent and intelligent. It's consistent and something you've prayed about. So how are we to give? It's to be spirit-directed. Secondly, it's to be cheerful. Cheerful. Again, apply this to anything. Whether it's gifts or talents or, or ministry, it's to be cheerful to the Lord. First Corinthians 9, 7 says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully, so that each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. How do we give? I need to pray about it. You need to pray about it. And let the Spirit direct you. Not just be arbitrary. Seek the Lord on this issue. Go to the Word on this issue. And then be cheerful about it. Why? Because God doesn't want to hear your whining. He doesn't. I, we don't with each other, do we? Listen, when I was newly married, oh, the grace of Christy Duff in, in, in my life currently, but a lot more earlier on. I, I remember, I, you know, I... I would see her, you know, with the kids and do, and I, you know, and, and listen, I don't know how you guys feel. I, I realize who's got the more difficult task, you know. I, I work at anything but, but all day having to, in the early days, change diapers. And, oh, oh, that's, God bless you ladies. But anyways, that, that aside, that, that aside, I, I would say, you know, hey, why don't you go and get some coffee? Why don't you just, I'll watch the kids, you just go get some coffee. And early on, she'd come back after, you know, just what, an hour or two being away. How'd it go? horrible. Oh, Haley was throwing her toys and Jonathan, he has the stinkiest diapers in the world and, and then I don't feel good now. And, and I could just see on her face, though she graciously never, I could just, I could see in her face like, thanks but no thanks. Thanks but no thanks. I don't, 
I don't want you to, to come and, and, and help and then have to hear how bad it was for hours on end. I'll just do it myself. And she never said that, but I could sense that. And eventually the Lord was like, why are you, co- that's awful. Stop whining. Stop complaining. And if we feel like that with one another, I mean, really with the Lord? You know, if you're like, oh Lord, I tithed and I don't, now I don't know what I'm going to do. Really? You know, or I showed up to serve today, God, and I really wished I was watching football instead, but here I am. <laughs> really? Man, we get to do these things, friends. We get to do these things. I'll never, I'll never forget a, a pastor's conference I was at, and they were doing the panel with like Pastor Chuck and Pastor Greg Laurie and, and Skip Isaac and these guys. They're on stage, and, and they were taking random questions from, from the other senior pastors in the audience. And this one guy, I mean, raised his hand and asked, do I as a pastor have to give to the Lord? I thought Greg Laurie was going to kill this guy. I really did. He was like, oh, he was red. And, and it was like, the whole point was, what are you talking about? Do I have to? Friends, we get to partner with Jesus Christ. And the fact that he, the fact that he wants to, to partner with you, to have you serve in some capacity, was well, just watching little kids. Really? And God will reward you for eternity being faithful? Really? We get to partner with Jesus Christ in our talents, with our time, and yes, with our money. There's no need to whine or complain. It is a joy and a great privilege. How do we give spirit-directed, cheerfully, finally, consistently? In a study we'll do, net, we'll do in a couple weeks, in Matthew 6, verse 19, you can look ahead. It says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus told his disciples, you lay up treasure in heaven. And guess what? Your heart is going to follow. As you take time to serve, as you take times and priorities to give, your heart's going to follow. Do you find yourself just saying, hey, I'm not in that into, I'm not in that into church. I'm not into what's going on in, 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 in God's kingdom. I just need to ask you, are you partnering with God? Are, are you investing in the kingdom of God? Because God said, your heart is going to follow. Your heart's going to follow. How do we give? Hey, spirit-directed, cheerfully, consistently. How do we not give? To get praise from men. To, to have people pat you on the back and say, well done. Important, important things. Let's go ahead and skip to the uh, how we fast. Move over to, to, to verse 16. It says, moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. Jesus, again, is dealing with three quote-unquote religious things we do. Giving, praying, fasting. He's telling us how not to do it and how to do it and why it's important. So he says, hey, here's when you give. Not if you give. Here's when you give. Man, do it spirit-directed. Do it cheerfully. Do it consistently. Do it not to be seen by men. And we went through all the reasons why in our last study. God's going to bless. God's going to provide. Your heart's going to follow. But now we get to fasting. Now we get to fasting. He's making the same point with him about fasting. How not to do it. Don't fast, he says, to be seen by men. Again, the bad example, the Pharisees. They would cover themselves in ashes, contort their face. 
And as they'd sit there, I can just see him, can't you? Oh, I'm so hungry. Oh, oh, what, Lord? What, Lord? Let me, let me connect to the Lord since I'm such a spiritual man. And, oh, and people would just walk by and think, boy, these guys are so close to the Lord. And I see Jesus just going, no, they're not. No, they're not. Again, we're not to do things to draw attention to ourselves. Now, that said, some practical things. If you are going to fast, you should let some people around you who are around you on a regular basis know what you're doing. I know it's always super spiritual. Like, I'm not going to tell anybody. Hey, guys, if you're going to fast for 40 days, you should tell your wife. You should. <laughs> There's going to be marital difficulties. We're on day four. You're like, I still don't want dinner. And sorry, I look so sick. She's going to be like, what? What's wrong with my cooking? You know, what happened? You need to let those that are around you on a regular basis, one, just so they know, but secondly, there's another reason for accountability. You see, if no one knows that you've been led by the Lord to fast for a day or two or ten, it's so easy to get out of it. It's so easy to go, hey, you want to come get a burger with me? I'm telling you, one day without food, you really want to go get a burger with somebody. It doesn't matter if you don't like that person at all. It's like, yes, yes, I'll get a burger. Yes, let's go. But yet, if there's, if there's accountability, if there's accountability, there's, oh, you, you see, so it, 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 it's not that we never have to tell anyone. Again, it's the heart of the matter behind it. And Jesus tells us it's not to be seen by men. Then he tells us how to fast. Verse 17, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. But your father is in the secret place and the father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. How do we fast? How does this go about? Well, again, like with giving, If it's spirit-directed, it's not if you fast, it's when you do, it needs to be spirit-directed. We go to the Word. We learn from the Word. You see, all the great men and women of the Bible fasted. Moses, Jesus, Paul, Daniel, Nehemiah, Ezra, Esther. They all fasted, but they fasted for different lengths, and they had different types of fasts. Moses and Jesus fasted for 40 days. Daniel fasted for 21 and 10. Different lengths. There were also different types There was the absolute fast for you note takers. We read of this in Ezra chapter 8. We read Moses doing it, Jesus doing it. No food, no water. Can I say about this one? Check with your doctor first. (laughs) Check with your physician. Why do I say that? We live in litigious society. And I don't want the CD of this study next to grandma dead on the floor (laughs) and having you listen to it and go, He told grandma not to eat. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. You need to seek the Lord. You need to pray and check with your physician. There is an absolute fast. 40 days of that, unless you're Jesus or Moses, fully in the spirit, ask a doctor, ask the Lord. Specific fasts. We see this in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel decides to go without vegetables and water, go with just vegetables and water. He specifically took out parts of his diet, not all of it. Now, as many of you know, I'm a a type 1 diabetic. I'm an insulin-dependent diabetic. This is how I have to fast. I I just, if I didn't have anything for 40 days, there'd be no more Wednesday night Bible studies with Pastor Jason. We know that for sure. I'd be on the floor with a CD next to me. Anyways, so what I've, the Lord and I, as I praise, this is what I do. I I don't eat solid food for a time God is telling me to do. I, I just don't. What I'll do is have some juice in the morning. 
So there's some calories, some sugar getting in there. And then one glass of juice in the evening or, or vegetable juice in the evening. And so there's still some calories, but it's still super miserable and painful. So the same effects are happening. But what I'm trying to say this is that's something I've prayed about. And I said, God, I, I know for me as a disciple, it's not if I fast, it's when I fast. So Lord, you've directed me to do it. Lord, how do you want me to do it? How many days? How often? How shall it be structured? If you've never fasted, can I encourage you, don't start with 40 days. <laughs> try one meal. Then a week or so later, try a whole day. Try three. There's a great website, Campus Crusade for Christ, Dr. Bill Bright, a lot of medical information. I'm not a doctor. I don't want you to sue me anyway, so you can get to that website and sue him. But the point is, number one, be led of the Lord as to what kind of fast and for how long. And secondly, in Scripture, we always see fasting and prayer going together. You're not fasting to lose weight. You're not fasting to detoxify. You're fasting to draw near to God. You're not fasting to make him obligated to do something in your life. Oh, Lord, here I come, and I've I've given up food for three days. Now you've got to give me that girl I've been praying about, or you've got to give me that promotion at work because I've gone without food for three days. That's not the heart. It's to draw near to God. It's to hear his heart. So schedule in times where you normally be eating to be praying and seeking the Lord. Now, why? Why is this so important? I mean, let's be honest. We love food. I don't know about you. I love food. I love food. I love McDonald's. I love french fries and hamburgers. I get happy when I eat there. That's why they call it a happy meal, don't they? It's just, you know, the salad stuff is all, well, my, I was just at the doctor's recently, obviously, and uh, he's like, so how much insulin do you give for a regular, I said, oh, I give it, and he goes, for every meal? I said, yeah. What happens when you eat a salad for a meal? What? <laughs> you mean like just a salad? Like not a salad and then pasta, but, but just like, like instead of eating, I just have, I go, I don't do that. And he goes, oh, well, we've got some work to do in your life. But anyways, that aside, I, I love food. I love food and food and fellowship is what Christianity is all about. That's what it's all about. The burritos on Sunday morning is what Christianity is all about. It's about going there and fellowshipping and loving one another and spaghetti dinners and glory. Why would I want to go without food? I don't know which part of this message I dislike more. Is it the money or the no food? This is a horrible Wednesday night. You tricked us with spaghetti to get us here. Oh, listen. There is an important reason. In fact, two important reasons and we'll be done tonight. Why do you need to fast? Get this down and we'll be done. So important. Number one, because your spirit will enjoy more power over the flesh if you fast. You see, a lot of us have a problem. The flesh is in control of our lives. We don't want it to be. We would desire to walk in the spirit. But the reality is the flesh has great control. It works its way out in addictions to so many things. It works its way out in a tongue that refuses to not gossip. Man, the flesh can be in charge. What do you need to do? Can I be honest? You need to fast. You need to pray about it. Seek the Lord for how long and how, but you need to fast. 
Because understand what happens when you fast. You decide, okay, Lord, tomorrow, here we go. I'm going to fast. When you get up, you'll forget for a moment. And you'll walk over to the cupboard, and your stomach is like, Cocoa Puffs, Cocoa Puffs. Oh, I need Cocoa Puffs. And you'll, op- and you'll open up, and you'll pull out this box of Cocoa Puffs, and then you'll remember, oh, no, I'm fasting. And you'll, you'll put the box of Cocoa Puffs back up, and you'll walk away, and your, and your stomach will be like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm fasting. I don't even know what that is. But if that's what you get from Wednesday nights, you're not allowed to go anymore. No, 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 no. You're fasting. What, what, I'm, I'm, I'm not feeding you. How long is this going to last? I'm not telling you. And your, and your flesh is confused. So then lunchtime rolls around, and your flesh is like, all right, spiritual man, spiritual woman, that was fun, not. Get a burger and fries down here right now. It's happy meal time. It's time to be happy. And you say, no. Your flesh goes, I've never heard you tell me no ever. Ever. What? What? How long, how long is this going to last? How long can it last? I don't want to know. You know, the first couple days, you feel like you're dying. You're not dying. You're not dying. It's not starvation. It's habit. And it's the flesh wanting control. You know, people that fast for long periods of time say that after about three days, for me, it's closer to five because I love food. <laughs> after about five days, you stop, you stop being hungry. And then about day 40, the hunger pains return. And what that is, is your body saying, okay, listen, (laughs) if you don't put something down here, I'm going to begin to eat you. You got that? (laughs) And at that moment, around day 40, you have to stop the fast. And how to medically do that, listen, I'm serious. I know it's fun, but you need to talk to a doctor. You need to do some research because you can't just go down and pound three ultimate cheeseburgers and... Hope you'll be okay after not eating for 40 days. Never a good idea. But listen, during that early stages, it, it's, this, it's this battle you're fight, fighting with your flesh. And even after the hunger goes away, there's this pain. Because your, your body is working through like these things. For me especially, it's like I start running fevers. Because my body, it's burning off these toxins going, I thought we hit that Twinkie in that cell. What happened? And it's, it's burning things off. And it's, it, it is absolutely miserable. Oh, this sounds fun. But here's what happens. As I learn to say, no, no, you're not going to have Cocoa Puffs. No, no, we're not going to have lunch. And I seek the Lord. As I learn to say no to my flesh, listen, as I learn to say no to my flesh on things it really does need, like food, it becomes even easier to say no to things my flesh really doesn't need that it screams for all the time. And as someone who loves you guys tremendously, I just want to encourage you, if you find yourself battling addictions, whatever that might be, battling the flesh, you need to learn to fast. You really do. You need to learn to let that develop in your life. 
you will see more power over the flesh than secondly and finally, the other reason, just as important, is you will become more effective in ministry. You will become more effective in ministry. Great story in Matthew 17. As time is running late, I'll leave you to read that on your own. But in Matthew 17, Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. Jesus' little click that he had. Peter, James, and John. And the rest of the disciples were left down the hill. I wonder how it felt to be the rest of those disciples. Bye, guys. Why does he always hang out with them and not me? Anyways, so they're down the hill. And they run into this demon-possessed boy that this father brings to him. And they try to get the disciples to help this demon-possessed boy. And they can't. They cannot do it. So Jesus walks back down the hill with Peter, James, and John. As they come back down the hill, they bring the little boy to Jesus. They say, your disciples couldn't help us. And Jesus says, oh, faithless and perverse generation. How long shall I be with you? Bring the boy to me. Jesus prays for him. He gets a little worse before he gets better. And then, man, God frees him. Now, after the scene passes, the disciples come to him. Talk about a good moment for disciples. And they say, hey, um, how come we couldn't do that? You know, no doubt they tried. You know, come out. How did Jesus do that before? How was that? How come we couldn't do that? And Jesus says something to him that kind of, is kind of bizarre. He says, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. And books are written, friends, on what does that mean? Does it mean it was a prayer and fasting demon? Like it's a special kind of demon that requires prayer and fasting? Or is he talking about the faith? That that faith that's required, it, 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 you need to fast to have that kind of faith. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether he's talking about the demon. It doesn't matter whether he's talking about the faith. What Jesus is telling his disciples, and again, please listen to me, precious church. What Jesus, Jesus is telling his disciples is there's things that you are going to face in your life that you do not have the ability to deal with in the flesh. You don't. You don't. There are circumstances coming. There are people that God wants you to minister to and you just can't do it in the energy of your flesh. You need to be one who is praying and fasting and building that spiritual maturity and power in your life. Now, I imagine the disciples might have thought, hey, the prayer and fasting demon showed up, huh? The need for the prayer and fasting faith showed up, huh? Why didn't you tell us this before you went up on the hill with your little click? That would have been good info a week ago. Hey, uh, just so you know, the prayer and fasting demon is coming. But friends, listen carefully. Jesus had told them. You see, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 chronologically before the incident in Matthew chapter 17 where Jesus looked at his disciples and he said men it's not if you give it's not if you pray it's not if you fast it's when you give and it's when you pray and it's when you fast you want to be my disciple you want to be able to deal with these things that are outside of your control You've got to be a man. You've got to be a woman who sees the need to occasionally, spirit-directed, no, no legalism, no law here tonight. You need to pray about it. God, is it once a year you want me to fast? Is it on a more regular basis? But Lord, I want to be your disciple. I want to have power over the flesh that just 
loves to well up in my own life. And Lord, I want to be used by you when I'm faced with that person that needs Jesus. When I'm faced with that situation in my family, with my friends, that's beyond my control, I want to be ready for that. So God, teach us, teach us to fast. Teach us to be ready for what's ahead. Father, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for these precious men and women. And God, as we close right now, I I just pray that you'd be ministering to our hearts. God, I believe everyone in this room sincerely wants to be your disciple, at least the majority of us. We want to do things your way. And so, Lord, may we turn our attention to what you've said in your word. And I I pray as, as, as single people, as family members, if we haven't already, that, Lord, as a family, we would have an honest discussion. Lord, as individuals, we'd come to you and say, Lord, how, how does this work out in my life? How do you want me giving of my talents and my time and my resources financially, Lord? How do you want me to do that, Lord? You have spiritually directed me or spiritually expected me. God, spiritually direct me. How do you want it to work out in my family? And Lord, as it comes to the subject of fasting, Lord, we want to have power over the flesh. We want to be ready for those circumstances that just are outside of our control. And so I pray we would be men, we would be women that would take time to fast. And again, at your direction, whether that's just one meal occasionally, whether it's a day or two every once in a while, God, or whether it's something you consistently want in our lives, God, you have expected it by your Spirit, so direct it by your Spirit in our lives, we pray that we might be your disciples. God, I also pray for anyone here tonight that maybe has never taken that time to commit their heart to you. Lord, the study tonight, really for the family, really for those who know you and love you and want to be your disciples, but Lord, your message, your truth, your gospel, Lord, you love us. That's why we're your disciples in the first place. We love you because you first loved us. And maybe there'd be someone here tonight that doesn't know that, that doesn't know how much you love them and how much you care about them. God, beyond giving and fasting and praying, Lord, man, you love these men and women here tonight. And you want them to enter into a relationship with you because as we've been learning for weeks, Lord, we'll never measure up to be perfect as my heavenly Father in heaven is perfect. So I pray for any of those that need to commit their heart to you, that feel that distance, that tonight they would invite you to be their Savior and be their Lord. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed and no one looking around right now, if you want to get right with the Lord, friend, he loves you. He paid your price on a cross. The standard to get to heaven is perfection and you're never going to get there on your own. You need to accept Jesus. And the Bible says the way you do that is to believe in your heart and then confess, Lord, I need you. And so if you want to pray that right now, just where you sit, just between you and the Lord, maybe you'd say, Lord, I believe in you. I sense that you're real deep within my heart. And I want, you to, I want to invite you to be my Savior and be my Lord. I want you to teach me what it means to be a Christian. 
I want what you did on the cross to count for me. Lord, I give my life fully and completely to you. In Jesus' name, amen.